like, let's face it, the best age to be turned into a vampire is probably like 25. Hello and welcome back to House of Bards. I'm Beth and this is my co-host Alex. Hello. Wow, we've uh, we, we've 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 been away for a while, haven't we? We have. Um, that's mostly been my fault. Um, I've went through some stuff recently. Um, I won't get to. No, you know what? I'm going to get into it. Right. My computer's been a bit arsy with me, and also I recently um, got let go from work, which was a bit shit. So as you can imagine, those two very stressful things all at once, and then Christmas happened, and then, yeah, it's not been mm. awesome sauce. But that's fine. That's okay. We're back, and we're going to do this this podcast again, hopefully. Um, I should maybe mention, just because it might come up at some point, that there is, uh, in effect, a, uh, a lost episode yeah. of the podcast. Mm. Because we did try and come back once before, mm. but at the time, uh, Beth's computer was still not great i mean it's not so we had... amazing now it's not fixed now but it is right. a bit more workable yeah. um so we had this idea we were like okay well we won't uh, we won't record the whole thing in one go because if beth's um computer turns off then uh basically we we've lost an entire recording mm. so we recorded in bits and the problem is it's like there are three bits yeah. and all three of mine exist, but only two of Beth's exist. Yeah. And I don't know that it's workable, given what we talked about in the third uh, part, mm. to just like cut that up and make it properly. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to like listen back, at least to my bits. Um, I think it would probably help if Beth like sent me her bits that she has, yeah. if she still has any. Oh, yeah, I, th- um, I think yeah, I think I do. But yeah. I think, again, one of the problems was sending them as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember you tried and it, it, it wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, but like, if I can like listen back to those, uh, I remember that we we sort of um, rambled a lot when we were talking about the topic on that one. So I might like turn it into a an episode plan, mm, if you like. Yeah. Um, so hey, Beth. Yes. I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's part of the reason why I wanted to start doing one mm-hmm. in the first place. Absolutely. And I wouldn't say I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. But the ones that I do listen to, I think that I listen to, um, you know, quite uh, quite religiously. Yeah. Uh, and and obviously there have been some podcasts that I've just like tried. Like I tried to get into um, Serial. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. After after it got like hugely popular, and I was like, this is fine. This is cool. Um, it has like the the. I, I I was kind of like giving true crime a a, a go at that point because I just watched all of Netflix's Making a Murderer mm. and I loved it, um, but I I just like couldn't really keep it up and like I listened to one episode of um, uh, oh god what's the thing called um, the, uh, the 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 Polygon podcast that. Oh my god! I don't even know what the Polygon podcast is called. I know, I know what uh, you're no, on no, about. No, no, not, not, not the the main Polygon podcast. No. Um. Uh, um. The the Cool Games Inc. Cool Games Inc. Yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah I that's to the one, one I was thinking of. Cool of Games well. Inc. Yeah. Um, because like I saw people shouting about how the game they made that week was really really good, and I've got to say. Like, I know people in the comments will probably hate me for this. I am not that keen on the McElroys. Like, I don't hate them. I think they're cool guys. But I don't really like a lot of the content that they produce. I'm more a fan of um, the ephemeral effect that they've had on internet culture rather than of any of the content that they make. Like, I've seen that there's a lot of of, um, people who tend to use, like, slightly childishly pleasant language now yeah uh which which i think is probably not a thing that is like directly traceable to the McElroys, but i think they definitely like popularize it yeah yeah and i don't know i'm just kind of a fan of that because in all honesty like in this day and age i'm really a fan of the idea of like people taking an interest in how to be nice to each other mm-hmm. yeah in any way yeah um I don't actually know where I was going about that, except to give my opinions on on the McElroys. But, but uh, I think def- definitely they, they are probably a, a force in what's got people into um, podcasts now. Yeah. Not that podcasts weren't having like a resurgent boom 
before them. No, yeah. But I think they, they do make a lot of stuff that's... that's. Um, I mean, literally all they yeah. do is podcasts. If you go on McElroyBrothers.net or whatever it's called, or McElroy, McElroy Shows, whatever, it's literally just like all of the podcasts they do. They do a load of them. Because each of the brothers also has a wife that they do a podcast with. And, it, you know, it's just... True. Yeah. I, I think maybe you could argue that um, Monster Factory is more of a TV show than a podcast. Yeah. Because it does have a visual component that's fairly important. Yeah. But in all honesty, like I've seen other podcasts that do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so to continue with this story, um, I'm autistic, right? Mm. I think that's come up in the podcast before, but it's kind of critical to what's going on here. So I'll, I'll repeat it. And one of the things that a lot of people tend to know, because it's quite um, archetypal uh, of us as autistic people, is... We tend to have like a special interest, which is like one thing that you're that you really like and that you're focused on. And I don't know necessarily that I have one of those, but I have like a small number. Mm. And at one point, like I was talking to people I thought were my friends, and in fact, who are my friends, uh, about one or other of my special interests, and basically got told, you know, nobody cares, shut up. Oh. And that really stuck with me, and I'm like, that is that is not a nice experience. No, it's not. And I and I don't really want that to happen to me again. So basically, because I don't really have control over what other people do and say to me, nor would it be a good thing if I did, uh, I'm going to do the next best thing, which is basically I'm not going to do that to anybody. Mm. Like, I'm going to try and be mindful of other people. I, and like, in fairness, there have been like um, uh, non-autistic people who have spoken to me in ways about a subject that implies that it's something equivalent to a special interest. Mm. And I felt like just as bad about the idea of, of um, shutting them down on that. But essentially, the, the, the point of this is that over time, as I've done that, it feels good to let people talk about stuff that, they, um, that they're passionate about. Mm. But also it means that I've sort of like engendered in myself a like deep interest in just listening to other people talk about something they're passionate about. Mm. Even if I don't really have any sort of like grounding sense in what that thing is, uh, and that comes across in a lot of my podcasting, like, uh, well, not not in, in my podcasting as in podcasts I make, but rather in podcasts I listen to. Like a lot of the time, I have listened to podcasts about things that I don't have any grounding, like either interest or foundation in. Mm. Like I listened to podcasts about magic before I ever even got into magic. I listened to a podcast about wrestling before I ever got into wrestling. Um, I still, if they bring it back eventually, will continue to listen to a podcast that recaps all episodes of the uh, hit 80s TV show Magnum P.I. with no intention whatsoever of actually watching the TV show. <laughs> Just because I like listening to people who like that talk about it. Mm. Like, it's it's cool, it's good. And I'll say one thing, like, despite the fact that I don't really, like, care for their, um, their style, uh, that's something the McElroys do really well. Yeah. And I think that's probably a reason a lot of people like like the stuff that they produce yeah. is that they they're generally unafraid of, of being um, passionate about things they want to talk about. The point of this being that I think most of our audience is probably people who have an interest in um, tabletop role playing games and the, the the groups of humans around such. Yeah. But it's it, it's distinctly possible that our audience is not exclusively that. No. Yeah. There might be uh, people who are interested in how our uh, advice can help with writing mm -hmm. or with other group dynamics like outside the, uh, the the concept of tabletop role playing and in fairness like i think those people who are interested in those kinds of things are probably going to only listen to the episodes that are relevant to them yeah like i think maybe you know the the former probably generally want to listen to like episodes where we talk specifically about stuff the dm does when creating the world yeah. or stuff the players do when creating characters mm. and the latter probably only want to listen to when we talk about things like problem players and people having relationships at the table and, and, and mm. I guess when I like dip into how the rules of improv are related mm. and stuff like that. So, but there might, I, I, I mean, I feel that maybe I flatter us, but there might even be people who don't really have any interest whatsoever in tabletop role-playing and just like listening to us talk. That's a, that is a possibility. Uh. <laughs> it, it, it's a distinct possibility that we must consider. Um, but just as I like got into uh, playing magic and watching wrestling from like listening to podcasts before I did either of those things, there's a possibility that some of those people might be like, well, I came to this podcast for something else, but now I'm kind of interested in starting maybe playing a, a tabletop role-playing game, or at least like seeing if it's for me. Mm. 
Yeah, which... And yeah. the problem with that is if you're coming from somewhere where you're not really certain mm. um, whether it's for you, you don't really want to sink a huge amount of bank into yeah. trying, mm. which is, I think, which is the real problem. It's yeah. like, well, you know, um, I've heard that this hobby can be quite expensive. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you want to you wanna run a game of Dungeons & Dragons, you've got to get... Yeah. The player's handbook, you've got to get the monster manual and yeah. allegedly the Dungeon Master's Guide. And if you don't want to pirate them online, you have to buy the books or buy the now, PDFs. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I per- I don't think that it would be right for us to advocate um, no. pirating books online. Like no. I will say that I have uh, downloaded um, uh, PDF, like... Um, Oh, OCR PDFs of all the source books, mm-hmm. but I only do so when I own the physical book because, and I mean, I know this is a justification, but to me that kind of feels like I'm just shortcutting what I could do by photocopying my own book and yeah. OCRing the PDF file that I make out of that. Yeah, and I, I would kind of ag- agree with you there that, like, if you already own it, it's like, well, mm. does it actually hurt to pirate it? You know, like. <laughs> Uh, specifically in the case of um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm. like fifth edition, um, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know that the last time I I tried to justify this on on the podcast, uh, Wizards of the Coast did not supply um, PDF versions of their source books, mm. like at all. Yeah. If you wanted those, you had to make them yourself or uh, pirate them. Yeah. Now I think with the release of the DM's Guild, they might actually do. Yeah. But for full retail price, which I think is a little bit dodgy, yeah, because it's like, come on, guys, yeah. there's no, you know, there's no bookbinding needed. There's no hardback no, there, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and for the most part, that's face it. You wouldn't even need to technically include a lot of the illustrations in the books. Like the illustrations are nice; they're beautiful books. I'm glad I own them. Mm. But oh yeah, they're they're really beautiful books. Yeah. but mm, but I don't know. You know, at, at the end of the day, I've spent, you know, like, it's about 25 quid a book, you know, like... Uh, and that's that's if you wait. Like, yeah. it, when, when they start, they're like um, 45 quid. Yeah, so it's like, that's still a significant amount of money I've spent on three books. And this isn't even including um, supplementary material that has new yeah, paladin I, I types and have... warlock types. and. Uh, just looking looking around my room, I have um, Curse of Strahd and... Um... Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, mm. which are supplementary books, and um, I think some people probably are going to want the uh, the new um, oh, what's it called the new Monster Manual. Yeah. Um, oh, what's its name? What is it? It's, um, uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters. That's it. Um, so yeah, uh, it might be quite daunting to look at that, and uh, also if if you and the um, the group that you're going to play with are very visual in your understanding. You might be like, well, ideally, I probably want to have like a playmat and some like minis. Yeah. And that's expensive. Yeah. I mean, we know minis are expensive when uh, we we hear of like. Um, yeah, it, those are expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, like we know. I, I was just saying we we know that um, minis are expensive, and I think you know people unfamiliar with it will at least know that minis are expensive because I think everybody's heard. Um, somebody talk about the frankly outrageous amount of money that people sink into war games. Oh yeah, like like a forty k army is not cheap. Yeah, I walked into a games workshop the other day just to buy a present for a friend, um, and I think I walked out um significantly poorer. Um, like oh yeah, like <laughs> they're not like cheap. And things. it's the kind of thing where like if you don't play and you're uh, trying to buy a present for someone. You really, really want to like get a good idea of what they already have, yeah. the duplicates of which would not be useful, because you're like, I do not want to spend this much money on a present that this person might not actually be able to use. Yeah, yeah, like you know, like, and I get it. It's like that with any hobby. I'm sure if somebody bought, oh, yeah, like, I'm sure if somebody I, I bought spend... my monthly comic like bill mm. from me, they'd be like, I can't believe you spend this much on what a recent, what's essentially bits of paper and i'm like yeah but 
<laughs> it's something. I you mean, know. I I spend ludicrous amounts of money monthly on playing Magic. Yeah. Although since I came back to to um, England, I have found that actually large amounts of that money are spent on bus fare <laughs> to like the actual place where I do that. Yeah, that, yeah. Which is not great. No. But you know. Um. But you know, like hobbies are expensive. But if you're just getting into something, if you want to like try test the water and you don't have a huge budget, mm. which let's be honest. A lot of people. I, I, I discovered um, tabletop role playing in university, mm. and I think a lot of people do. Yeah, like it's either it's either in like a high school or comprehensive school club that meets in the yeah. library after school with one of the science teachers, or it's <laughs> or it's mm. you know in university in geek society. I think, like a lot of people actually discover hobbies that they have as adults in university, just because it's like often the first time that you have like a real sense of having adult autonomy yeah so you go and you try things to try and like define who you are mm. um i know that like i'd been interested in the concept beforehand and i went along to uh to, to the uh, the gaming group at my university just to see if i could find people i could play with and i would say um if we're talking about new players getting started on a budget uh, if you have access to that, that is probably the cheapest way in that it is entirely free. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, like, just go, yeah. go and find an existing playgroup in your local area that can take you on, like they have space for you, and uh, they generally have like copies of all the material. Mm. So like the the players will probably have um, players' handbooks that they could lend you. Yeah. Um, the DM probably has all the books that they need. That kind of thing. I mean, quite often. Um, the the uh, if it's in a like a university or something, then probably somebody will have printing credit for character sheets and stuff. Mm. And if they don't, it's like you can write that stuff on paper, assuming you can't get them yourself. Mm. I mean, I'm assuming actually that you probably can like print the stuff yourself if you're listening to this. But, yeah. uh, who knows? In any case, like it is conceptually free to do that mm. to just go and find a group who can take you on without you having to like use any of the material. And also. A lot of the groups I've met would like, um, like, like they'd be understanding of the idea that that you are a, a a beginner who's testing the water to see if they like the hobby. Yeah. Um, and actually, a lot of the groups that I've known would make an effort to like make a good impression on you yeah. and to explain things. Um, I find it's that way with magic as well. Um, often because like people in that game, because the thing about magic is it's like every rule has an exception, right? Mm. So they're really worried that the complexity of the game will scare people away. So. Like, if you need something explained, people, like, just jump to explain it in a way that you can understand. Yeah. Uh, I've been teaching players recently, actually, and it's it's reasonably fun mm. to do. Yeah, like... See, here's the thing, right? Almost everybody who plays tabletop RPGs, and I'm not saying that this is exclusive to, like, the tabletop. I yeah. think pretty much any niche hobby is going to have a majority of people who are like this. Yeah. But pretty much anybody who plays tabletop RPGs wants other people who are entering the hobby mm. to like it. Yeah, unless... Now, now, the only niche hobby where this is an exception is comic books. Continue, Alex. <laughs> in fairness, I understand where Beth's coming from with that. But, yeah. but I, I think there are like people like that in, in every hobby. Yeah. It's just that in, in this case... Uh, what I mean, basically, yeah. is they either want you to... Um, be a part of the local community, which is generally very sparse, yeah. because it's a niche hobby, mm. so they just have more people. Uh-huh. Or, if it's like, nerd shit, um, then they don't particularly worry about whether you'll like it personally, but they want you to like it enough that you can understand why they like it, yeah. and you won't make fun of them for yeah. it. Yeah. And I guess, like, when you're in your first game, they kind of have this idea in their head that they've they've got to justify this to you, so they want to, like, they want to make a good impression, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. So I would say th- that's been my experience of like people getting taught to play Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so if if you have a local, um, uh, I would say if you if you have like a local um, university uh, game or gaming um, club, uh, I find that it, it is not unique to uh, to Queen's Belfast where I went. That often those will be open to other members of the public who don't go to the university mm. on like some different it'll be like you know students uh pay membership five pound and, and other people pay membership 12 quid or something yeah. a year yeah that, that kind of thing mm. um and it might be worth like going to do that just to find like a group of people who are uh if if there isn't something like that nearby you might try um game shops and comic shops are generally the other places that like tolerate that kind of thing being done yeah. on their property. Yeah. Now obviously 
those kinds of shops tend to like hosting games that make them money more. Mm. So, like, obviously, um, game shops always like hosting, like, uh, card games like Magic the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh! Or uh, war games if they sell stuff for that as well. Because they like having a like thriving local community for that hobby because having that means people will give them money for product. Yeah. And the thing about um, tabletop role-playing is that once you have bought the source books, there's not a huge amount of like additional revenue that you can give them. Yeah. So so maybe like try uh, weekdays mm. when they don't have a lot going on. And if you're there, like if they sell like snacks or something, just, I don't know, like try and pitch in for something like that. Mm. Just because it makes them feel a bit better yeah. about like holding it. But if they have the space and it's not being used, I find that there are some that just don't really care. They're like, yeah, sure, you can do that. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it puts that place in your head, if nothing else, and I think a lot of them do understand that. They're like, okay, well, that's that's fine. Um, so that's the cheapest way. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not really the cheapest way. The definite cheapest way is over the internet, because I guess because then you don't have to like pay. Yeah. Um, pay in front of. We're assuming that you already have the internet. Yeah. Um. Oh, oh yeah, obviously. Because I'm 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 really interested to know how you're listening to this if if you don't. Yeah. Um. Or didn't at some point. But th- this is, this is generally a good way to do it. Uh, of, I you know. I actually like wouldn't. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about that because mm. everybody's experience is different, and like what is available to them is different. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know if I would recommend your very first game being over the internet. Yeah, there are like virtual tabletops that can like do stuff, but I I find that like if you're unsure about what's going on, yeah. It really helps to have somebody physically there who can like look over your shoulder and, and like explain things. Yeah, so, like especially like if you're not all fair with maths like I am, it's really mm. good to have someone who'll take a look at your character sheet and go, "What the fuck have you done? <laughs> hey, let's fix this." Well, I kind of hope they'd be like kinder about it. No, they wouldn't say. That, they wouldn't but... say what. No, I'm you know I'm being yeah. I'm I'm doing it in my all best right, yeah, way. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. you've you've made a mistake here. This is what you're. Oh, sorry, you, you you were being obtuse for comic effect. I should have picked that up. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. look, it's my fault. I tried to be funny. <laughs> but you know, no, I, I can't pick up on the funnies. No. <laughs> but it's it's like that's over the internet is a good way to do it because it's a lot cheaper. And there are things like um you know roll twenty that are a brilliant service yeah because they have literally everything you need and it's all free and they they they, yeah they they have like i think they have a subscription model where Mm. you get more stuff oh yeah the free one is is fine and actually speaking of that let's let's assume Mm. um that there's somebody listening to this podcast um let's call her elaine okay elaine how are you doing uh elaine came (laughs) into the podcast primarily because it was recommended to her for writing advice like a couple of the episodes we've done are quite relevant to that yeah but has since found, hey, I might actually be interested in the idea of like tabletop role playing. Mm. But I live out in the sticks. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll assume Elaine is American because then it's easier to like imagine her living somewhere where there's like like there's people in the local village and then there's fuck all else for miles. Uh, Elaine lives on a farm in Illinois. Sure. Yeah. Elaine lives. On, I, I I love the, the the narrative that we're crafting. For. Yeah. And there's there's a nearby town, mm. right? Um. So there are like other people. Um. Other people around, mm. um, but the town isn't big enough to have like a game shop or or a university or anything like that. Yeah, it definitely does not have an established tabletop role playing community. No. So let's assume that um, Elaine thinks that either she can gather a group of people to to together in the town who are interested in this idea, mm-hmm. or um, a group of her friends on the internet. Yeah, like that. Well, we'll assume for the sake of argument that uh, despite living out in the sticks in Illinois, she has a decent enough internet connection to be able to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, she listens to the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what can we recommend for Elaine for a cheap or free way of trying out tabletop roleplay? Okay, so... I think the first thing we want to mention, like, before anything else, because we talk about... Like, D&D is not the only tabletop roleplaying game out there. Mm. It is not even the only tabletop role-playing game that's good. Yeah, that's true. But it is the one that we talk about a lot. Mm. Uh, and and given it was the first, it's also like the er example of tabletop role-playing, which mm. makes what I'm about to say a bit weird. But uh, what I'm about to say in, in like a little bit, like first of all, I want to say, um, Wizards of the Coast provides the basic rules for 5th edition D&D free of charge. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's on their website. Mm-hmm. You can download them. They're really like paired back compared to the stuff that you find in the um, player's handbook. Mm. 
but you can run a perfectly functional game with them and it will cost you absolutely nothing. Yeah, you can craft something from that, essentially. And there are other systems like that as well. There's the Apocalypse World system, which has lent itself to a lot of different other games, like Monster Heart, Saga of the Icelanders, Masks, I think, um, mm-hmm. Dungeon World. and So the other thing I want to say mm-hmm. is... Um, which is what makes what I said before a bit weird, is despite being the Ur example for role-playing games, uh, Dungeons & Dragons tends to do um, content production in a way that most other role-playing games don't. Yeah. Because you have um, the Player's Handbook, which is for the player, yeah. and you have the Dungeon Master's Guide mm-hmm. and the Monster Manual, which are for the DM. Yeah. And the game itself assumes that the players don't know what is in those other two books. Yeah. I mean, obviously they will, because people like to switch roles around, yeah. people like to read the books and see like what's what's going on. Mm. And everybody knows that, but it's still considered kind of gauche to like use information that you know about the DMG and the, uh, the Monster Manual as a player. Yeah. Most other games don't do that. Yeah. They have one source book, mm. and the source book provides everything that all the players at the table are going to need. Yeah, like, again, Apocalypse World. If you want to play just straight Apocalypse World... The PDF mm. is completely free and it has everything you need to run a game and to play the game in it. Or yeah. if you want to pay for it, it's only $15 and you get everything, right? When that's considered pretty good in the tabletop gaming world if you want to compare something like yeah. GURPS. Because I've recently been looking into setting up a game um, with like face-to-face people and I want it to be science fiction-based, kind of a bit Firefly-esque based, but I am leaning more towards like putting them into like a Voltron situation but anyway. I would not personally recommend that you start with No, because I've been looking into it and I'm like, okay, I need the source book I need the science fiction book, I need the book on vehicles, I need another book for this and that, and I'm like, that's four books and I haven't even played GURPS yet, I don't know if this is a thing I want to do, I don't know if it's something people are interested in wanting to do with me, Yeah, that's very frustrating and I mean, these like, are about apart from that, you know, even if in this episode about like beginning on a budget we're assuming infinite budget for Elaine yeah I still don't think it's a good idea for her to start with GURPS because GURPS is essentially GURPS is like open source tabletop role-playing games it's like when you 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 find that none of the games that are out there really have exactly the kind of of thing that you want to craft so you use GURPS as like basic building blocks to build the game that you want to make and I think that is well I mean too advanced but also like too in-depth yeah for Elaine, I, I feel like she doesn't need no, that to start off. Like, I kind of feel like for Elaine, she should start on maybe something like the Apocalypse system, which is a bit easier. I don't for know, her. actually. Like, like, like the Apocalypse uh, system has its appeal. It does. I mean, get, yeah, like, it's got certain mechanics that are a bit, you know, the sex moves. That's a bit weird. We well, <laughs> that that is a bit weird. But I, I would say the main thing about Apocalypse World is that it's very good at introducing people to the concept of playing Apocalypse World. Yeah. But it's functionally different from a lot of what is normal in tabletop role. That's true. That's true. Because there's this, uh, it's it's a lot more communal mm. rather than like dictatorial, which a lot of uh, role playing is. Yeah. Like it doesn't have mm. like, I mean, it does kind of have an explicit GM, but like there's a lot more that's that's up to the group and stuff. I I, I would say that if you're looking for a game to get a basic idea of what the feeling of playing tabletop role playing games normally is, mm. Apocalypse World, which from what little I've played of it, is a great game in its own right, yeah. is maybe not the good a good like place to start. Yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, as in terms of if you're on a budget, you can get it all for free. Oh, yeah, like... yeah you, you can get it. That, that's, that, that's appealing. That's, that's the, yeah. uh, the, the, the... And I mean, obviously, that there are a load of, like, um, open source uh, role-playing games that have been, like... They're often churned out by people on the 4chan's TG board, actually. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. whatever. Um that like happen to be free just because there's no like they have no interest or means to to publish it, mm, I, and they were just like roll that as an idea. If we ever um get my cousin on this podcast, he'll be able to tell you about the game of car lesbians he played. But like it wasn't car lesbians, right? It was they used the car lesbian mechanics to play like okay. a robot, like a mecha, like anime type game. I got to ask. Yes. Is is this like? Like the horse lesbians thing. Like, is this lesbians in cars or like lesbians who are cars? 
And if it's lesbians who are cars, is it like cars or is it like Transformers? Um, it's because I don't, I don't really want to think about it if it's like cars. It's, le- it's lesbians in cars. So the two stats okay. are car, how good your car yeah. is, and then the lesbian stat, which is how hot the lesbian is. Basically, like that's not a very, right, okay. not a very politically correct game, but then you can take those. So it's 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 flannel and exhaust pipes then. Yeah, then you can take those um two like mm. stats and go okay the car is maybe how good the robot is and hotness is how um charismatic or whatever the pilot is you know like yeah that kind of a thing you know you can take very broad stat concepts and just rejig them to do what you want but that's maybe not what a beginner wants to do maybe a beginner is no, like i no, want to come into I, a game yeah. and be able to play a scenario it, it seems like a, an, an amount of work that a beginner... Like, I also, I don't think that... I think it's possible that Elaine would, if she did that, think, well, I'm changing so much to make it fit into what I want to do. Mm. Is this actually a representative experience? Yeah. And that's not really the impression that we wanted to go away with. No, no. Um, so I think what I was saying um, is, like, I look on my, my shelf now, right? Mm. And I'm saying I look at my shelf, even though my D&D books are actually on the floor, and I should probably put them back, but you know, yeah. um, it's Wednesday, so it's like two days after we had an actual game, and yeah. I, had, I needed them down here. But imagine they're on my shelf. I have five D&D source books. Yeah. I also have 6th edition Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. uh, Mongoose Traveller, uh, three 2nd um, edition source books, and Mage the Ascension. Yeah. Now, the 2nd edition D&D source books, okay, yeah, I have the Monster Manual, the Player's Handbook, and the Dungeon Master's Guide for that as well. Leave that aside, that's not really relevant to my point. Mm. Point is, Call of Cthulhu, Traveller, and Mage the Ascension are all one source book. Yeah. Each. Not, like, here's a source book, and it's all three of these weirdly disparate games. But no, yeah. like, um, they're all one one source book that you, you take everything from. Yeah. And... Assuming that Elaine actually has some money, that's probably the kind of avenue that she wants to go down. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't need her to have money because, as you've mentioned, like um, Apocalypse World also uses that uh, that kind of, of thing, and it's completely free. Yeah. And there are other games that also follow that that model that are completely free. But we're going to assume that Elaine has not really found anything that she wants in the free published games, and she's a little turned off by how many of the things that TG turns out seem to include entirely extraneous French maid outfits. So <laughs> let's let's get her on to actually buying a source book yeah now generally speaking um it is cheaper to get into uh tabletop role playing by buying a source book of an old edition of a game that only uses one source book yeah old editions generally are going to be cheaper mm. um just because you have to buy them off like ebay and, and stuff like that mm. from other people and those people generally won't charge a huge amount for them just because they're not published anymore yeah or because those people just don't really agree with the original price point to begin with. Like, I think resale of the 5th edition source books is probably going to be at a much lower price point just because it's kind of extortionate how expensive they are. Yeah. So, you know, that's 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 an avenue that you could go. And I know that um, I started off playing 2nd um, edition, AD&D in general, but like 2nd edition was my favourite, so it was the one that I got the source books for when I um, like wanted to start DMing. And the, they are, they have actually republished those, so you can get like really nice green bound ones if you want. Mm. But I got like originals that are a little bit beaten up, but they have all their pages and stuff. And I just got those off eBay for like a tenner. Yeah. I don't actually know how much ten pounds is at the moment because exchange rates are. Uh... Yeah, I f- it's probably about twenty dollars at the minute. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, hang on. I recently um, one pound sixty. I know is uh, two dollars. So. Oh okay. I'd say that that probably means that a pound is like a dollar and a half, about, I think. I, I can't actually do the math for that in my head, but like, use that how you will. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think she probably wants to start with a game that has one source book. Mm. And if she wants to be really cheap, probably an older edition. Yeah. Like, I would say, actually, if you have any interest in horror role-playing, um, Call of Cthulhu is a good place to start for this. Mm. Largely because for all editions before 7th edition, the uh, the uh, effective... I'll call it an API because I'm a computer scientist and that's how I understand like interfaces between like two separate parts of the same thing. Mm. Uh, between the source book and the, uh, the actual scenario remained almost completely unchanged. Yeah. So, like, the back end of how the actual source book handled things would change, but 
the, the way it communicated with the scenario didn't. And what that means is that there's this huge back catalogue of scenarios and stuff for older editions of Call of Cthulhu that will work with 6th edition Call of Cthulhu, and vice versa. And that means that you can often find, like, um, scenarios that you can... Uh, I, it's technically pirating, but they're not actually sold anymore, and also, like... A lot of them actually like come out of publications that the original publishing house has since gone bust, and it's like there's no real problem yeah. with pirating those. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, if the original author is um, savvy about it, they'll actually like post it on their website or something and be like, "It's fine, take it." And and this is we're talking like stuff from the early nineties. Yeah. Right. Um, that still works fine, and you can like you know uh, transform it into to stuff that you want. Oh. So obviously that 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 oh. is down to Elaine and her friends liking um, the spooking times. Yeah. That said, however, Call of Cthulhu is also a really good um, choice because every Call of Cthulhu source book comes with four or five uh, inbuilt scenarios. Yeah. And one of those is always the haunting, which is like the most played Call of Cthulhu scenario ever. But if none of you have played tabletop role playing before, you know none of you will be familiar with it. Hmm. And you can run it, and it's it's really short, and it gets the the general um, ideas of the uh, the system down. It doesn't require any prior knowledge of either the game system itself or of Lovecraft's writings. Like it uses the mechanics, but it doesn't actually like have any like uh, Lovecraftian lore stuff in it. I think the um, the most recent like version is like you can add this if you want if you want to like turn this into a campaign but otherwise this is just a self-contained thing to get you used to the system hmm. and there's also the fact that um, as far as I can remember actually no hold on let me actually pick up the source book okay because I've just thought of, of something that might be quite important so yeah this is called Cthulhu 6th edition which I like um I'm fairly certain that this system actually only uses six-sided dice, because we should maybe talk about um, that, mm. uh, and about how that might like present an expense. Yeah. Now, hold on. First, first off, it just... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty... Yeah, I, th I think... Yeah, th this system only uses six-sided dice. So you probably want to start with one of the systems like Call of Cthulhu or Traveller, which only use six-sided dice, because... Now, in fairness, polyhedral dice... At, like, I mean, obviously there are expensive, like, really good polyhedral dice that are balanced and um, not stuck in a rock tumbler and whatever. But to get polyhedral dice at all is not expensive. Like, most of my dice are from buying the Chessex Pounder dice yeah. on online. Uh, this product is literally a bag containing a pound of randomly assorted polyhedral dice. <laughs> and, it, uh, and because it's random... They also include like a tiny um, envelope that has one of each type of die in it, mm. just to be sure that you have at least one of each. Yeah, uh, which was really helpful, even though the like guaranteed ones are—they're really ugly. <laughs> they're like white with pink speckles. It doesn't look good. That they're, but I have them. They're what color with pink speckles? They're, they're they're sort of like a creamy white with pink speckles. Oh yeah, that does sound pretty ugly. Uh. It's, it's 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 gross, but I have them, which is yeah. the thing. Ma um, yeah. And obviously, uh, the, if you have like a smartphone, there are um, apps on your your uh, that can be downloaded for free on your smartphone that will simulate dice. Like some of them just simulate it. Like I will give you a random number between X and, and whatever. Uh, but I think if you have a smartphone, you really want to pump for for one that actually like simulates with the accelerometer the actual act of rolling the dice. Yeah, it's a lot more satisfying. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there are there are ways of solving that. But not only is it cheaper to use a system that only has six-sided dice, because obviously six-sided dice are the ones most commonly used by other games and are most readily available, mm -hmm. but it also like makes you feel that um, it's a lot simpler, because you're like, I don't have to handle the concept of polyhedral dice. And I mean, if you have a system of getting hold of them, you could also try um, White Wolf's uh, series, which only... I don't actually know about the old about the the new ones, but the old ones only used um, ten sided dice. Yeah. So that's not it's not actually any more complex as an idea because you only have to remember one die die type. Um, so that uh, with that we're talking about like werewolf, mage, and vampire. Vampires, I think, the most famous. One. Oh yeah. Um, although, eh, I think I prefer mage just because. 
I don't know, maybe I want to be Harry Potter more than I want to be, like, the Cullens. I I mean, you're not really... Le- like... Leaving aside that Twilight is not good, the Cullens did not seem to have, like, a really good lot. Yeah. It's like, you have to live in shitty parts of America and you have to go to high school for the rest of your life. Yeah, like, if... Like, let's face it, the best age to be turned into a vampire is probably, like, 25. When you're presumably in the prime of your life, you're old enough that you can kind of walk into a respectable position at work and people aren't going to be like, oh, you're a bit too young for this. You're old enough to sort of be able to go, oh, I'm actually a lot older than I look. And you're old enough to sort of be able to go, oh, I'm actually a lot younger than I look. You know, a 25-year-old can maybe yeah. pull to be like 20 or 21. I feel like 27 is probably closer, but I, I yeah, all your reasoning works. Yeah, like, you know, you, you want to be in your mid-20s when you become a vampire because any other yeah. age sucks, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's actually like a really fun um, book called <laughs> The Reformed Vampire Support Group, which is about uh, the, the main character, Nina, was turned into a vampire when she was, I want to say, 15. Oh, yeah, no. Nah. Except that happened like, like she still lives with her mum and her mum is like 80. Yeah. Because actually this was like 40 years ago. Yeah. And it, it sucks because she's like, I'm like a middle-aged adult. But I still have, like, all of the, um, like, my brain is still underdeveloped and I have all the hormones of a teenager. Yeah. And all the other vampires are older still than me, so they treat me like the child I look like, even though I'm not. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it kind of makes the ending where she, like, hooks up with one of the other vampires kind of weird. Yeah. It's the kind of thing I think that works better if you just don't think about it being being brought up as evidence for something else, usually by people on 4chan. Yeah, yeah. Man, we're talking about 4chan a lot. This, we uh, are talking I, about 4chan. I say, I say we. I'm talking about 4chan a lot, which is weird because like, I don't like or go on 4chan, so I don't know why I would do that. Yeah. But, what, yeah. what have 4chan done to you? Like, I mean, let's... They've let's done, they've done a lot to us all, let's be honest. Yeah, I don't know that anything that they have yet done anything to me specifically. Yeah, but... well, they've done a lot to us all as internet users. They've given and taken a lot from us. This, this is true. Anyway... Um, that was a tangent in a tangent. That was. <laughs> so I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't either. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, the the White Wolf stuff is probably reasonably decent to get into. Mm. Um, as is Traveller or um, uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu, because they only use one kind of dice, and in Traveller and Call of Cthulhu's day, uh, case, it's the six sided dice that most people are familiar with from other games and that are easy to get hold of. Mm. Um, but uh, let's assume that Elaine has a smartphone yeah. and has found an app that will let her do dice rolling and stuff, so that's not really a problem. Mm. Um, beyond that, like probably her best bet is the D&D 5th edition basic rules, mm. because Dungeons & Dragons is the er example of tabletop role-playing, and those rules are free. They are free. She can just download them if she wants to play them physically. She can probably print them out or, like... I mean, I guess have them on your phone. Like, it's going to be a bit, like, you know, ragtag and jury-rigged that way, but you can do it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing stopping you doing it. Oh, also, I'm thinking about this, because... You, you might be like, well, well what about um, scenarios? I'm pretty certain that there are free scenarios that wizards offer, like like starter scenarios. Mm. And if you're like, well, I don't really want, like, you know, um, a straight up scenario, but I want, like, some stuff to help. For the last two um, Magic the Gathering settings, starting with Zendikar, because... Zendikar, it was supposed to be D&D World to begin with. Um, wizards, who own both properties, have actually produced like a um, a little piece of source material about playing D&D-type um, adventures in those settings. And they're probably going to do one for Kaladesh, the current setting, at some point as well. Which would actually probably be really cool as a role-playing setting, because it's like um, Clockpunk India. Mm. Um, so th- there's, there's stuff out there. And also, like, um, if you just want something loads of people like a lot more uh reliably than when people make their own games loads of people like release their own like scenarios and and content uh cheaply or freely and you can probably find some of that on uh, what's the site well you can find some some of that stuff on the uh the dms guild obviously um but then you know it's going to be set in uh the Forgotten Realms. Although I believe the ruling has been from um, Wizards that Ravenloft and Al-Kadim um, 
and wherever okay. the like the, the, the there was another um, setting that is just like it's a different part of the world that the Forgotten Realms are in. So they count as the Forgotten Realms. So um, they count as stuff that can be put on the DMs Guild. If you don't want the DMs Guild, probably the uh, the better place to look is the the site of the company that the DMs Guild is like actually a a collaboration with. Mm. I'll get their name. Hold on, I'm looking it up. So there's the Dungeon Masters Guild. Blah 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 blah. blah about I want, yeah. Here I want about Drive Through RPG. That's it. Yeah. So, um, the company that owns Drive Through RPG and Drive Through Fiction and Drive Through Comics and Drive Through Cards, which I don't think they know. Look at that. Um, Drive Through RPG is they sell a whole load of like officially published um, content. Mm. I think they do also like you can just sell stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't know about that, but obviously it's not really relevant here because that's not something Elaine's going to want to start doing immediately. No, no. Um, what's oh on sale now? They say. Uh, Mind Jammer Traveler Edition. So that's a version of Mind Jammer, whatever that is. It was apparently an award-winning transhuman and uh, science fiction RPG setting, uh, and it's a source book for using it with the Traveler roleplay. Oh, well, there we go. I don't recognise the logo, so it's probably not Mongoose Traveler, but yeah, you know, whatever. So that that kind of thing, like like Drive Through RPG has a whole load of stuff that um, is cheap or free that you can get hold of, and a lot of it is very good quality. Um, there's also like if you're prepared to deal with older stuff, um, they do quite a good line. Well, I say they do quite a good line. It's not like a, a unified thing. It's just like people do it, but um, like sort of old scenarios, like in compilation packs or. And I think this was quite common in Old Traveller. Like, you'd have a setting with a bunch of maps and stuff, and then there would be, like, six scenarios that could be set there. Like, I have one of those... Uh, I think I have two of those, actually. Like, I have one for a, a, a prison, like a, a prison world for travel, and one that uses, like, a derelict spaceship in, like, just out, out in space. And I've used both of those to great effect. So, I think the, 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 the world is on your side for this because... Um, obviously, tabletop role-playing is a very... It, it's a very non-physical hobby, which means that a lot of the information that you need mm. can be freely shared. Um, I think when it comes to uh, visually... F- like, physicalizing yeah. the game, you're gonna run into more problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, like, we've touched like upon the, dice, which you're going yeah, to need le- anywhere. Yeah, but let's be real. Um... If you want to physicalize the the game in terms of like having a playmat and having mm. um, miniatures, there are ways of doing it cheaply. Yeah, I would say probably the cheapest way is you look up a decent quality playmat. The ones that Paizo make for Pathfinder are uh, recently good, mm. decently good. Like that's that's what I have. Um, and you look up one of those on eBay or something. Yeah, like see if there's anybody who's selling one. Um, I think Freegal and Gumtree probably wouldn't generally have that kind of thing, but if you look at those anyway, then keep an eye out mm. for one. The the other way is just make your own, you know, stop, uh, you, you know. You, you could, yeah, you could make your own if you have like a decently large piece of, of um, paper or yeah, something. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like, is... pap- like plain paper is not particularly expensive to buy anywhere, like. It's not. It's just that you, you like, for convenience's sake, probably mm. want, like, A2 or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, I, I don't know what, like... I, I'm given to understand the A system is only used in Europe, so I don't know what, yeah. like, Americans have that's different. Mm. But you want a big piece of paper, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So a playmat is helpful, um, especially because, like, if you have a bunch of, I don't know, like, Sharpies or some cheap equivalent, you can, like... I guess, actually, Sharpies are permanent markers, so you don't want that. You want, like, um, dry wipe markers yeah. for, for, for those. Um... In terms of uh, miniatures, probably the cheapest you're going to get is um, paper standees. Yeah, but as well, like, I don't know if I'm the only one like this, but it's like, you know, you can use a lot of things to stand in for standees. Oh, absolutely. You can can be very quirky with it, you know. I have a lot of Lego minifigs, for example, that if I was... Yeah, Lego minifigs work perfectly, especially given how customizable they are. Like, if you have a lot of, like, minifigure stuff from... Uh, from Lego, then you can be like, okay, well, we can stick this on, yeah. and then that looks like... Uh, that you know, and, and and let's face it, you know, if you're playing with a bunch of nerds, some of them are probably going to have Lego they don't use anymore as well, so it's like, you know, if you're doing... Or, it, like, as... um, playing pieces from games that have long since fallen apart, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and it's just, it's stuff like that, like, you know, I, you know, I think everybody's got old board games in their house that they can, like, take bits from and use, that's fine. Right, yeah. You know, it's... So... Yeah, um, but if you do want to go with paper standees, 
Uh, oh, now <laughs> there's going to be a lot of like picked up audio of me typing and clicking in this episode just because I'm looking up stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Oh, okay. Right. The blog is called printableheroes.tumblr.com. Mm. And this is an artist um, who, like, as part of the blog, makes... Um, oh, wow. Okay, hang on. Uh, make, makes, uh, like, he draws monsters and um, characters and stuff that you can print out and turn into paper or card um, standees. Mm. For now, I think he does kind of. Oh no, like maybe it looks like those those have stands, but he, I think it's generally assumed that you'll have some way of like affixing those to a stand or something. Yeah. Um. Oh. Oh, hang on. As somebody who asked him is like, so how exactly do you do this? You print it out, fold it into a triangle, and then glue it or tape it to a base. Sorry, I just don't really know. Yep. They're designed to be able to cut out, fold into a triangle or an upside down T with the base tabs folded out and taped together, and then you're good to go. If you're a bit more adventurous, then you can cut out the rectangular outline, glue both sides together, making sure not to glue the two tabs off the bottom, then go in with uh, an X-Acto eraser and cut out the miniature, leaving as much of a border as you feel comfortable with, and then gluing the tabs to the supplied base. This is the method I personally prefer. So yeah, like definitely, it's supposed to be just, you have some card or some paper, and you mm. make... I, I feel like a reasonably thick card, if you can get it from a construction shop or something, is probably going to be best, yeah. but... Uh, you know, whatever, um, and you you can like print those out. And he also recently recommended uh, a, a another website called Two Minute Tabletop dot com, mm. which is I think roughly the same thing, but for printable maps. Ah, just mm. these are maps that you can use, and uh, they all seem to be drawn by the same guy, Ross McConnell. Yeah, which uh, which is helpful because it means they're all in the same style. Yeah. So if you wanted to use a lot of them. Then yeah. you could uh, you you could do that and you could like fit them together and stuff like that. That would be really cool. So there are a lot of open source online resources that you can use for the potentially more pricey um, aspect. Mm. So you know it, 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 there are solutions for all of this if you're willing to like take the um, take the initiative to mm. actually look into how can we do this cheaply. Yeah, and it's definitely you know like it's that that's what it's sort of going to be part of like. You're kind of paying for stuff that's a bit cheaper, but you're going to have to fill in the blanks yourself sometimes. But Yeah, you're going to have to do more of the work. Yeah, like, um... But that's sometimes what makes tabletop role-playing fun. I know for me, I, I like to be able to have that level of handsy onness, if that makes sense. I would, I would say, um, with some cautions, mm -hmm. that asking about online for you know that kind of, of resource... Mm -hmm you'll generally get a similar um, response to, you know, what I was talking about when I said, like, other people, mm -hmm. um, when you play with them, would, would want to make a good impression. Like, obviously, it depends where you go. Um, in keeping with the theme of this episode, I wouldn't recommend going to 4chan's TG board because <laughs> they're going to roast the shit out of you. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, you Probably with racial slurs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and also, like, I wouldn't recommend um, RPG Stack Exchange, not because the community is bad, it's really good, but because they have rules against, like, asking questions that are really just requests for lists of resources. Yeah. Because that's not really what the site is yeah. for. Um, but, uh, see, this is the problem. Like, I, I can think of a whole load of resources I've used, and then I forget the names of them. Was it N-World or something like that? Uh, oh, right, yeah. Um, E-N-World. Mm -hmm which is not a resource that I use personally, but it tends to be where I end up when I start Googling for like stuff like this, mm. um, is a forum just about tabletop RPGs where you could go and, and look and ask about that kind of thing. And, and generally, I think the, uh, the community I've seen there is reasonably helpful. You could um, get some help with that. So there are definitely options. And I, I was just thinking about how um, like that might be quite kind of daunting to somebody. Like I'm familiar with it just because um, I had a background in doing it in like video gaming before I even started tabletop gaming. Like uh, if you want to play the original um, Transport Tycoon, is it Transport? Yeah, I think it's Transport Tycoon. Um, there's actually like a an open source um, port of all of the like mechanics and stuff that you can either use with open source resources which are different from the original games but entirely free or with the original resources of the, of the game and i know that somebody's doing that with um the elder scrolls morrowind as well just without the open source resources mm. they'll be like if you have the game and you install it you can like instead install um OpenMW, i think it's called which is a better open source engine that 
is more stable, which for Morrowind is good because <laughs> Jesus Christ, I love that game, but it's so so buggy. Yeah. But so so I was like already um, versed in the idea of you can do this cheaply or freely if you're willing to put um, put effort into it and understand um, open source communities. You know, it's it, essentially if you want to do this on a budget, this stuff is out there. It's just going to require oh, yeah. you to it have a bit of a look around. Um, but honestly, if you're fairly well connected anywhere, you are going to be able to find communities who will do this anyway. Because look, if you just want to play Dungeons and Dragons and you go to look for a group, they're going to be like, "Hey, it's fine. You can borrow my player's handbook for now until you decide whether you like this hobby or not." It's not generally people who are into tabletop role playing want other people to play it with. They're not going to scare you off. Yeah. And they're not going to be like, oh, you, you don't have any money. You can't play with us, you povo, you know. And they might say, to be honest, even the people who like can't take you on permanently into their group because it's already over capacity are still going to want you to be into the hobby. Yeah. Just because people, you know, people have lives and sometimes people get sick and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like they, they want you to be in the community just because the more people there are in the community, the more likely it is that they'll get a, a, a game together. Mm. Um. At the beginning of this, I'm conscious that we're like running on on time here because mm. I'm lazy and I don't want to do too much editing. It's <laughs> already going to be me having to listen through the entire thing because yeah. um, Beth's call kept dropping. Yeah. So I have to like edit out all the times when she comes back in mm. and, and says, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> um, but I remember at the beginning of this big, long nest of topics, um, we were talking about playing over the internet. Mm. Now, I've already said I don't recommend doing that as your very first time. I wouldn't recommend Elaine do it. But if it's the only way that you're actually going to be able to get a game together, um, you absolutely could do yeah. it. And if that's the case, it's probably even easier because uh, all you need is the stuff that you would have needed anyway. Mm -hmm. And we've already said there's a whole load that can be found for free. Um, if you just want to play Dungeons and Dragons, download the basic rules. Mm. I'm pretty certain... I think I actually have uh, the dungeon, yeah, the DM's Guild open. So let me let me see. Actually, mm -hmm. I can make a definitive, um, uh, you know, a, a definitive like statement about whether it actually product types. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not as if you can't get hold of the the source books. Mm -hmm. Like you, no, yeah. you can definitely definitely get them. So hang on, mm -hmm. um, let's search for the player's handbook because the thing about um, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, is you can technically and. Like, when the books were just coming out, people did mm. just run it with the player's handbook. Yeah, like, you, you can do that. Like, that's not... You absolutely can do that. An impossible thing. The player's thing. handbook um, provides a lot of the stuff that... Like, the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, for 5th edition at least, is kind of just a nice-to-have. Yeah. I mean, it's got some... You don't, strictly speaking, need it. It's got some handy stuff in here, but it's... Yeah, it has some really, really handy stuff, but I don't know necessarily that you, no. strictly speaking, need it. It's It's got some handy stuff in, like, it's got random roll tables in, it's got trinket ideas in. It's a book of ideas, essentially. It's a book of inspiration. Is what I uh, like to and, think of it like, as. Um, methodology, if mm. you really can't like think of a way of doing the stuff yourself. Yeah. It has, like, to make a monster and things like that but the player's handbook actually has like all of the stuff that would apply to players and it has a bunch of um monsters in the back now most of those are beasts but there are also people and it provides for those um stat blocks now oftentimes um i think that's mainly like a lot of the beasts are um things that druids and such can summon which is why they're in the player's handbook um and the the people are just like you know we might as well stick these in because we're releasing the Dungeon Master's Guide after the Player's Handbook, so it helps for a starting point. And also because these are the kind of people, the kind of monsters that players should, player characters might be intimately familiar with. But because it has those example stat blocks, like, it's not a problem to just look in there and be like, okay, I, I see how this is supposed to work and make up some stuff yourself. Like, ult ultimately, that's reasonably cheap. Okay, so it seems that the Dungeon Master's Guild uh, does sell source books for non-5th edition versions of Dungeons & Dragons. So if you want to start with like AD&D or 3.5 or 4th edition, God forbid, um, you can do that with the Dungeon Master's Guild and just get like um, source books for that as PDFs. It's probably not going to be super cheap, he says, having actually like not 
Like, uh, like, oh, hang on. Let's let's look at the uh, the revised player's handbook, second edition. Oh, actually, you can get that for ten bucks. Oh, cool. There we go. Second edition's good. Like, yeah. and the revised one is is probably like decent. Mm. Um, you can currently get the first edition player's handbook for ten bucks, also, but that's actually marked down. Whereas the second edition one is is like that's its price all the time. Yeah. So. Uh, so you know, it's 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 not it's not out of out of your hands. Yeah. Um, to to like get get hold of stuff that would allow you to test out the game. Yeah. Definitely. And it's um, yeah, it's not. This isn't out. You know, like out your wheelhouse. Like it can be expensive if you want to play the newest stuff right away. But yeah. and if you're patient. You will be able to get your hands on this stuff, and it's not like no. you know, it's not you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Um. So, uh, I think feel we're coming to a natural. End. Yeah, I think we're coming primarily to to to, to an end point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say this is this is not a recurrently expensive hobby to get into no. the way that magic and comic books no, are. It's, this it's, is like it's going to cost you some bank to to get set up in the most basic way yeah. unless you're prepared to like put a little effort into like finding ways around yeah. that but past that point it's probably not going to cost you a huge amount no. uh, especially if you if you uh if you or your dm is the kind of dm who likes to make their own stuff like beth and i both like to like we don't use pre-made scenarios a lot no. in dnd i i don't use them at all actually mm. um like even uh Curse of Strahd I only have because for the I, I want it for the maps and the stat box and yeah. stuff. I don't actually plan to run stuff in Ravenloft. Yeah. Now I will do pre-made scenarios when I run um Traveller and Call of Cthulhu because I'm less familiar with those systems. But mm. you know Yeah, and it's like if you're making your own stuff, that that's free. Yeah. It's free to use your own brain. And it's like I would use the pre-made stuff for Shadowrun because I really like that setting, you know. But right. not everyone's the same. Some people like yeah, that's like um, I like a lot of the older traveler stuff because I'm not really a fan of like a lot of the stuff that happens in the uh, the newer traveler setting. But if I were gonna like properly do a traveler campaign, obviously it would be probably my own and set in my own original setting mm. where I didn't use any of their aliens because their aliens are fine. Yeah, but I just like the idea of traveler more as like a set of building blocks for sci-fi games yeah. with a really, really good character creation system that I just, I think we have talked about on the podcast yeah, before, yeah. but I really love it. It's so good. Um, than, like, an actual, like, setting that you do stuff in. Mm. So, you know, uh, if, if you're, like, prepared to do that, and I presume that for our purposes Elaine would be because, hey, she got into the um, the podcast primarily for writing yeah. advice, right? Mm-hmm. Which probably means that she's a writer. Yeah, and I, at least I, an aspiring I think, logically, the next podcast really should be writing your own scenarios, doing your own arcs and storylines, I think. I think, well, yeah, we can definitely yeah. do that. That's something we know a lot about. I think that's the next logical step from this podcast, in my opinion, is like, okay, this is how you're getting into it. Let's get into writing your first scenario, doing your first dungeon. Let's go cool. for it. Yeah. yeah. So that was House of Bards. Um, I've been Alex. I've been Beth. Um, you can reach us on Tumblr at Cleaver Crumbish and Baroness Bamp. You can reach us on Twitter and Twitch at the same names. God forbid you follow me on Twitter. I'm very sorry. If you do, well, I mean, it's probably more productive than following you on Twitch at the moment. Yeah, yeah. That said, if you want to follow me on Twitch, uh, I stream every Thursday and Sunday. Uh, on Thursdays, currently, I am streaming Darkest Dungeon, and on Sunday, we're going to take it a bit easier and we're going to play Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. And the plan currently is that the Stardew Valley stream goes for at least a year in game, and we're just getting into winter. Mm. So, I don't know, maybe when I finally get this episode edited, uh, that will be over or whatever. Mm. But, you know, that's it's cool. It's cool. And um, obviously, if you have any suggestion for future topics, please put them in the comments below. If you have any yes. questions for our future Q and A episode, please put them in the comments below or send them to us on yes, Twitter. Yes, we October. are still pretending that that's happening at yeah. some point. Um, <laughs> if you just wanna send us anything nice, tell us some lovely comments. You can do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can contact us on on any of those uh, services. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're actually going to send us stuff, it might be better to do it on Twitter or on Tumblr because I mean, I don't have a f- uh, have a lively Twitch chat, so I probably will see it, but I don't know that that's got the level of permanence yeah. that you really want. Like, it's not difficult to reach me on media where your message will stick around. Yeah. <laughs> and Beth currently doesn't stream at all, so that's that's yeah. just going to be. Yeah. And look, look, if you you know if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can, but. I mean, I hope that Beth like gets back to the point where she can stream again because I really enjoyed. I like, want to get back partners. to the point where I'm streaming again. I definitely want to do like a Resident Evil a thon 
Because, I mean, pretty pretty much all of those games are available on PC right now, right? Like, um, I think they're, they're either, like, available natively on PC yeah. with, like, varying level of quality ports, yeah. or they're so old that you can trivially acquire an emulator. I mean, I, like, I'm pretty sure I'll, like, at least the original Resident Evil, because it's a classic, and the remake's really good of it as well, so it's like... Yeah. Four might be difficult. I kind of get the sense. <laughs> Four might be difficult. Yeah, I think it's it's around about the middle of the series. You're going to start having trouble. Yeah, probably. F- five, six, seven, easy. One and two, easy. Three and four, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, uh, yeah. So, so thank you for listening. Mm. Um, we we kind of like threw this together real quickly because Beth just came to me out of the blue and was like, I want to record a House of Bugs. Yeah. And I was like, there's no problem with us doing that. Okay, yeah. sure. Um, which means that I haven't yet decided what the background image uh, on the video is, but there'll be a credit for it in the description as well as a credit for Mr. Kevin McLeod for our uh, wonderful intro and outro music. Yeah. So um, thank you for listening to House of Bugs. I don't know what kind of... Um, like schedule we're going to get back onto now but yeah. hopefully there'll be more frequent episodes because yeah. this one seemed to work reasonably well i think that's that's um for now that's um for monthly episodes which i know is yeah i i feel like that's that's a conservative yeah. estimate because we're probably going to do it more often than that yeah. but you know uh, watch out for more episodes soon yeah. at least mm-hmm. so uh yeah thank thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye 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 <laughs>